and welcome to Come Follow Up. My name is Daniel Becerra, and this is Barbara Morgan Gardner. As scholars and religious educators, we're always searching for ways to help individuals and families apply the scriptures more deeply in their lives. Here on Come Follow Up, we look to enrich your daily studies of the Come Follow Me resource as we discuss life-changing principles and study the words of the prophets. We hope that our dialogue today can inspire you so that through the Spirit, you can uncover truths, experience new insights, and deepen your personal conversion. So today we are going to go over Ether chapter six through 11. And in these chapters, the brother of Jared's family travels to the promised land. The Lord sends winds to guide their ships. They're going to establish more kings as they go through and the people are becoming more and more wicked. As they become more and more wicked, the prophets are going to teach repentance and try to be more serious and try to get people to come into Christ. We have the emergence of secret groups and wicked persons who have uh, secret plans and they are condemned by the Lord. They eventually cause the fall of the Jaredite civilization. So obviously there's a lot of things we can cover in these chapters today, but specifically we wanna focus on um, how do we have humility and affliction? What does it mean to cross our own waters and to rely on the Lord in this process? And then the qualities of a good leader. There's a lot of political history in this, good kings and bad kings. So we're gonna reflect about what exactly does it look like to be a good leader and how can we cultivate those attributes? And to help us in our discussion, we have a very special guest with us today, uh, Lisa Valentine-Clark, welcome. So yeah, great to have hi. you here, Lisa, thank you. Thank you for having I me. I love your big Book of Mormon, wow. Well, Oh, no. I'm really spiritual. So. <laughs> you are. I'm just Probably kidding. as big as your brain, huh? Yeah. It's awesome. Right. <laughs> Lisa is an actress, a radio host, a mother of five, and an author of the book Real Moms, uh, Making It Up As We Go. You have a lot of life experience that we're hoping to uh, draw upon today, and we'll turn the time over to you. <laughs> I, I'm glad that, uh, yeah, you had me start this discussion. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, so before we get into it, maybe we can ask uh, our audience, what are some things that kind of jumped out to you in these chapters? Anything you found is significant or uh, that really spoke to you? What do you think? I noticed that they um, praised the Lord and they prayed when they like got to um, their destination. And I think that most people, maybe they would be mad because there were so many storms and stuff. But if it was calm, like the whole time and no wind, then they couldn't go anywhere. So, so when there's like winds, then they can actually go to where they need to go. Can I ask you a, a follow-up with that, Samantha, real quick? So if we open up to Ether 6, verse uh, 9. So this is the verse I think you were referring to here. So Ether, or Moroni is describing this kind of really arduous, strenuous journey that they're taking. And it says in verse 9, And they did sing praises unto the Lord. Yea, the brother of Jared did sing praises unto the Lord. And he did thank and praise the Lord all day long. And when the night came, they did not cease to praise the Lord. And if you look at some of the afflictions they suffered, I've underlined them here in red. Uh, Many times they were buried in the depths of the sea. There were great and terrible tempests, fierceness of wind, uh, encompassed about by many waters. There's mention of like a whale somewhere in here. Or monster in verse 10. Yeah, monster. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know what was going on with that. but uh, So, I mean, you have all these kind of scary, bad things happening to them. And yet, throughout all of this, they sing praises to the Lord and they give thanks. So, my question is for all of you and, and for Lisa as well is, what does it look like to praise the Lord in our afflictions? Like, is that is that literal? Like, help me understand what's going on here. What does it look like to praise the Lord in our afflictions? So these are probably like the simple primary answers, but read the scriptures and pray and do the sacrament and attend home church, even though they're not really in their home, but like. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So maybe keeping the commandments as they're going through these things or something like that, yeah. And doing the basic things, making Mm -hmm. sure you're doing the basics, yeah. Lisa, did you have any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I mean, a couple of things stick out to me when I'm reading this. First of all, they were prepared. And they talk about how in the scriptures about how they were prepared with food and water mm -hmm. and they'd done all the things. And I love that mm -hmm. because I think that a lot of parents can relate to that phrase, all the things. Like yeah. it's a little too much to mention right here, all of it. And, also, and the second thing was is that they commended themselves into the Lord um, mm -hmm. at the end of verse four in chapter six. So they, gave, they were ready and they were literally putting their lives in the Lord's hand mm -hmm. and saying, we are getting into a ship that we're not 100% sure of. We have some light that, that the Lord gave them. They didn't know how long they were going to be in the depths of the sea. They didn't, or where they were going. Or, right? They're just or stepping where in. they were going. Yeah. I mean, it really took a huge act of faith. And I think that there was a lot of vulnerability and probably trepidation. And I think we kind of take it for granted that like, nope, oh, they did this and, and they had faith the whole time. I'm sure there were a lot of discussions about what was happening, and, um, but they did it anyway, which is, is, is the whole point of it. And the fact that they can be driven and submerged over and over again and not know how long it's gonna last and if they're gonna run out of food or water and they still sang, sang praises is, 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 is not a small thing. I, I think it's easy for us to say they were in this hard thing and they were just happy the whole time. So when you go through a hard thing, just be happy. <laughs> and I don't think that's what it's really saying. And I yeah. really try to put myself in their shoes and having had experiences in my life where something is really, really hard. You don't know how long it's going to last. It might last for a really long time. You might not make it yeah. and you kind of feel that way. And the fact that you can still have those fears and still have that pain and grief of, I, it will never be what it was before. I will never put be, they left their home and everything they knew and everything they loved so there was some sorrow in that and some grief, but for them to say they sang and they praised God teaches us something really great, that we can be happy and joyful of God and still mourn and still understand that God is grieving with us at the same time. Yeah. So if I understand you correctly, you're saying that praising the Lord and maybe feeling sorrow aren't mutually exclusive things like we can Absolutely do both Absolutely they're not. Yeah. And I think that we do our discredit for ourselves and others when we go through something and we say, this is a hard thing, so just be happy about it. Yeah. And it just doesn't seem, it doesn't feel authentic, and it doesn't feel like what the Jaredites did. Can anybody speak to this experience? Do you know what it's like to praise God in your suffering? I don't think I've done that that many times in my life, but it took me back to a time in my mission that I got facial paralysis, and I thought that would make it so much harder to teach because sometimes I would have to stay home because I couldn't move my face very well or express myself. But then every, even in spite of, after blessings, a transfer, some people were getting worried. But I, I remember in my prayers, I always thanking the Lord for the opportunity to serve, that whatever would be His will, that might come upon it, and I would be grateful for it. Have that kind of humility. I mean, that's not something that comes naturally to me. My, my tendency is more to become angry and kind of bitter. And maybe, maybe we should switch spots, actually. I'm really how bad of a person I am that I'm <laughs> <laughs> reflecting on my own character. But I mean, that kind of humble response isn't my natural response. So what do you think prepared you to respond in that way? It was a hard decision for me to serve a mission. And all the great blessings I have received so far, I just realized that if I start being angry at God for that, I would start dismissing all the great blessings that were already, that already came before all of that happened. Yeah. Lisa, did you have any thoughts on that? 
So four and a half years ago, my, my late husband was diagnosed with ALS, which is a neurodegenerative disease. There's no cure and there's no treatment. And so he slowly lost abilities. And, and it's a particularly cruel disease because there's n- not only because there's no cure and no treatment for it, but there's no way to tell how, how long and at what rate you'll progress and at so you just don't know anything. And, and every day that you have is the best it will ever be. And it will always kind of get worse. And he was such a great example of praising God in his suffering that it it really stays with me. Um, you know, near the end, about the last year and a half, he had a feeding tube and he couldn't move and he couldn't speak. But our home was so was full of laughter. He was making funny jokes all day. He was acting as his kid's theater teacher and seminary teacher, and we were doing lots of things as a family. And instead of of lamenting for the things that he couldn't do anymore, he was still happy for all the things that he could. I feel now more than ever that that coexistence of sorrow and grief and joy can exist and and more often than not do exist together. And, and it becomes this thing where where, you know, for us going through this and asking for a miracle and having, frankly, the faith to have a miracle performed, but knowing that that answer was no, and to knowing that you were going to get not what you wanted more than anything, and still see the hand of the Lord in your life, still see so many miracles and blessings. I mean, we both spoke of it all the time of that. We just couldn't deny that God was continually blessing us and our children. We saw it all the time. And in fact, my husband typed out, he had this device where he could move his head and he could move his neck a little bit and type out with his eyes with his um, device on a computer. And he typed out this beautiful talk and testimony to our ward family, to our, our friends, and just about how the kindness of others is a miracle and the gifts that, that people have, have, have given us and the love and peace that God had given him so that he wasn't tortured. That was a miracle. And you can have that kind of joy um, and that kind of praise. And at the end of the day, we always said, God is good and God is good. And I, I think of the Jaredites just being tossed and turned and they don't know how long it's gonna last and, and it looks hopeless and they're singing and praising. And I know that that came with a cost. Well, and Lisa, and I appreciate that because, I mean, you were talking about, you know, sometimes it was hard for you and, and maybe not um, as a parent, sometimes for your husband as positive as he was. But I, I, don't, I don't know that, that just because they were singing and praising the Lord and finding joy, that doesn't mean that they also weren't crying. I mean, Christ himself was a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief, and he was perfect. And we look at the prophets throughout the time, and we see, you know, Joseph F. Smith, he's one of my fascinating stories, is, he, you know, he was living 100 years ago during another pandemic, and many people were losing their lives at that time, and including he lost a number of his own children, his own son who was an apostle, and he also was losing you know, grandchildren and family and friends right and left. And he actually made a comment one day as he was carrying his little daughter. He said, I carried my daughter all night. And he said, in the middle of the night, she passed away. And he talks about how, she just, how he just wept and cried. And he said, I'm not weeping and crying because I don't believe I'm gonna be with her again. I know I will be with her again. I'm weeping and crying because it's hard and because I miss her and because life is difficult and this is painful. You know, this is the prophet. And you look at like Harold B. Lee or all these different stories we have of leaders of the church and so many women. I hope we understand as members of the church, Christ cried. When Lazarus died, Christ cried. 
And that's healthy to cry, and it, that's part of who we are. And that doesn't mean you can't have joy too. There's, there's so much joy, but it's finding that joy within those tears. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I hope yeah. that we can see through this that yes, we can find a lot of joy and sorrow, and we can find joy especially when we understand Jesus Christ. And as we come to know Him, our joy can be real through Him. And I love this idea that uh, our sorrows and our and our and our gratitude and and joys really don't have to be mutually exclusive things; that they can coexist um, by really rooting ourselves in the principles of the gospel. I want, I want to see if we can maybe draw an analogy between the journey of the Jaredites and, and our own lives and ask ourselves, what does it mean to kind of cross our own waters? I, th- I think there's a video on this that we could yeah. listen to from yeah. one, of our, one of our viewers. Can we play that video? Hello, my name is Bruce Chang. I'm representing the Chang family here in Glendora, California. We are studying Ether chapter 6 and talking about the Jaredites' barges how they, at times they were burying the depths of the sea, but yet they still made it to the promised land. So I have two questions for you. Question number one, how can our homes be compared to the Jaredite's barges? And question number two, what would be the promised land that our families could be led to if we are faithful and trust in the Lord? Thank you very much. So maybe I can just start here. I love in Ether chapter six, again, verse seven, Moroni says, and it came to pass that when they were buried in the deep, there was no water that could hurt them, their vessels being tight like unto a dish. So I think about families and I think about those barges and, and how we can make our families tight. Um, I, I like to think about like cocooning our families and making sure that, that no fiery darts of the adversary can get in. I mean, those barges are so tight. There is nothing that's going to float these. I mean, it's going to sink, float. There's nothing that's going to sink <laughs> this, these families. And, and I think about what you're just talking about. I mean, there are many people, if they were struggling with something like that and they had a spouse that was passing away and they had these children, I've seen your, your, your humor and I've seen your positive attitude in a, in a number of places. And I'm just wondering, really, like, how did you not sink? Well, I think two things. First, the grace of God and also Christopher's example. Christopher was amazing. He, he kept going. I remember I was supposed to go on an audition for a funny commercial and we were dealing with this diagnosis and he had had a fall and it was just like, oh my gosh, this is coming and happening. And he was like, you should totally go to the audition. And I was like, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And he's like, "Whatever, I'm not going to lay in bed and cry all day until I die. We're going to get up. We're going to go to work. We're going to have fun with our family. We're going to go to the movies. We're going to just live our lives. Yeah. And he really stayed true to that. You know, I mean, even as he would lose abilities, like he he was a, a beautiful pianist. And when he couldn't do it, he's like, I'm not going to worry about how I can't play the piano anymore. I'm going to focus on this. And he would just, I can still direct. And then when he couldn't speak or move and he couldn't direct plays anymore, he'd do something else. And even like by the end, he was um, doing funny videos online uh, where he's dressing up like Frankenstein because his voice was going and it sounded like a monster's and he kind of like <laughs> leaned into that and it was really funny and people were like can we laugh at this and we were like well he's clearly pleased with himself so go ahead there's a huge lesson i mean there are a lot of lessons because of of Christopher Clark but one of them is is that you get to choose how you live you get to choose how you respond to anything it is a mental game he did give himself time to grieve or to feel sad. His therapist early on in the diagnosis when we were like, what is happening? Said, you know, g- give yourself 10 or 15 minutes a day to feel sorry for yourself, to feel sad about it, and then get on with the day. And then like keep doing. And he kept 
directing plays and he kept teaching as long as he could with adaptive equipment and he kept showing up. And I mean, the week before he died, he was um, writing two plays and in pre-production and doing Zoom calls with other plays. He planned an elaborate surprise for our 25th wedding anniversary. He was my kid's home seminary and home theater teacher. He was going to movies, I mean, right up until the very end. And I feel like, how do we keep our 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 families like that tight and, and close-knit as we, we love them, we show them the way. We show them how to live um, our life totally given up to Christ. Lisa, I, I really appreciate that. I'm going to push even again. Yeah. You, you talked about how, how he was able, how you were able to do it through his example. How was he able to do it? He found a lot of comfort and blessings that he had received that made him feel, though this is part of God's plan for me. Like this is not something that I did, that it's not something that I need to learn this big lesson from, although certainly I will, but this is this was part of God's plan for me. And God is good and He's and and I trust in His plan and this was part of it. And I've had a beautiful, wonderful life and I will and I will go and keep having a great life as long as I can. And when the time comes that my body can't, doesn't work anymore, then I will know that that's God's will and not mine, and I'm not going to fight against it. And I think that there, again, so many lessons in that, but one of them is, is that we, we do get to choose. And just like the Jaredites, like the time for them to like be ready was not when they got into the barge, was not the time to start thinking about yeah. that. They were prepared. They commended themselves to the Lord. And Christopher, years and years before, had been prepared for whatever came. He had given his life to Christ. He established a pattern of that. And so when the moment came where it became that he was, and we were all drowned in the depths of the sea and then a depths of, of grief and sorrow and pain, he was prepared. Yeah. And that peace comes because of Christ. What you're saying there reminds me, putting the, putting the brother of Jared in this story, um, together with your husband and your family reminds me of Eliza, Eliza R. Snow. She has a great quote. Many of you may have heard of this, but it's one of my favorites. She says, I will go forward. I will smile at the rage of the tempest and ride fearlessly and triumphantly across the boisterous ocean of circumstance. And the testimony of Jesus will light up a lamp that will guide my vision through the portals of immortality and communicate to my understanding the glories of the celestial kingdom. I, I can't help but think when I'm listening to you of, of your husband and his testimony of Jesus Christ, which is kind of this foundation of what you're talking about, the blessings and, and understanding this purpose and, and the Lord and his life and everything else. And then you guys, although I, I recognize you're saying a lot was your husband, but clearly a lot was coming from you and your preparation and your testimony of the Savior and, and what was going to continue on in, in eternity for you and your family. Thank you so much for sharing that. So Bruce asked two questions on there. I think we talked about the first one. Maybe we could talk about the second one. What does our promised land look like? The Jaredites didn't get to choose what their promised land looked like. <laughs> when they arrived, they thanked God for what it looked like. And I think, especially for me in my life right now, I have to find some significance in that and some purpose in that. Because for me, what I desire the most, I will experience not in this life. Yeah, thank you so much. Anna, I think you had a comment as well. Actually, I don't know what our, the promised land would look like for our families, but I have the bright hope that it would be far better than anything I could ever imagine because Heavenly Father has so many great things prepared for us and our limited minds cannot even 
like pick a, a little bit on, on, the, on what it could be. Yeah. Thank you for all these comments and thanks to Bruce for that question as well. These have been, this is very insightful and, and poignant, frankly, as we think about what our future could be like in this way. So as we're talking about our promised land, um, one of the things that I would love to talk about, and we talk about it here in, in the book of Ether as well as leadership. I mean, I think one of the greatest signs of a good leader is someone who can help us get to our promised lands. Daniel, do you have some thoughts or insights on leadership that you'd like to share from these chapters? Yeah, as I was going through these chapters, one of the things I saw is that Moroni is really recalling the political history of the Jaredite people. He's talking about the history of kings and how the bad ones uh, led to wickedness, the good ones led to righteousness. And I tried to map out exactly, or rather to make a list of some of the qualities of the good leaders. Um, so we see here, they don't desire power. They don't force their will on others, humility. Uh, remember what God has done for them. They judge righteously. And we talked about this a little bit, but there have been people who have been extremely influential in our lives. Uh, what are the qualities that they have that you admire that have helped you be better people? And how can we cultivate those kind of qualities? Yeah. I feel that a great leader should be able to um, share an experience with someone, be able to comfort them or be able to not just tell them what to do and how to do it, but like be able to work with them and be able to, like Jesus came down to earth and he lived probably very poor. He was meek. A great leader doesn't mean someone in a high position, just like kind of someone that help everyone else along. Yeah, Dalton, actually there's a talk by President Kimball and the talk is actually called Christ the Perfect Leader. As you can see on these, a number of these things, he's talking about understanding others He's selfless. You know, those types of things create this good leader. And he's actually talking about these are leadership characteristics of Christ. And Dalton, we've been with you enough today and had some comments and things. And I would imagine in your family and among your friends, you are a good leader. You're a thoughtful person. You're a kind person. I've watched you compliment and, and reach out to other people here. And there's no question that, that you are well on your way to being a good Christ-like leader. So thank you for your example today too. Thank you. Lisa, did you have any thoughts on that? So I feel like when we are trying to to use our natural talents and magnify them as much as we can and temper them with by living the commandments that we find our own expressive ways yeah. to be leaders. It's not just being a mold of someone else, but really having that come out in yourself. And I feel like that that is a, a worthy pursuit in this life. Yeah. You know, Lisa, that when you're talking about being yourself amongst all these different things, you don't have to try to be like other people. There, there's a great scripture in Ether chapter nine. It's, it's one of my favorites. It is totally hidden among all of this crudeness and wickedness and craziness and cities built up and destroyed again. And then all of a sudden you see in verse 21 and 22, this, this person named Emer, and he says, and Emer, are you laughing at the name? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because his mom probably named him that. Okay. <laughs> so the scripture says, verse 21, and Emer did execute judgment and righteousness all his days. And he begat many sons and daughters, and he begat Coriantum, and he anointed Coriantum to reign in his stead. You, you do have to read all of the stuff before that and all the stuff after that to see how unique Emer is. And then this next verse. And after he had anointed Coriantum to reign in his stead, he lived four years and he saw peace in the land. Yea, he even saw the son of righteousness and it rejoice and glory in his day and he died in peace. So, so here we have this prophet among all of this crazy wickedness. And it's just this one little random verse. And if you're not reading the scriptures carefully, we just had somebody that saw Jesus Christ and he just moves on. But clearly there's something that's going on with this prophet. Clearly he's distinct, he's unique, he's different. And he's able to stand up 
as so many leaders and wonderful people in the church have done in the past, and as your husband has done in the past, and so many of you have been doing as well. And during this time, which could be, which could be through death or it could be through political warfare or anything else, this person chose righteousness among all of the wickedness. And the Lord blessed him for his righteousness. Yeah, I love this idea that our circumstances don't dictate our relationship with God, right? We really appreciate all of you being here with us today. We've had such a great conversation as we've gone through Ether chapter six through 11. Lisa, we really appreciate you sharing with us some of your thoughts and experiences, and especially with everything being so, so on the surface in a sense. So thank you so much. We thank all of you for being here with us today in the audience. It's been a wonderful experience. I hope you enjoyed your time together. And for those of you at watching at home, we thank you for your uh, comments on social media, your questions, your videos. Please continue to reach out to us and come join us if you can. And we'll see you next week when we'll come follow up. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting.